You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled, The Jesus Tree, Part 1. Enjoy. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you, Lord, that, that we, don't, we don't come to church anymore. You've made us your church. Your sons and your daughters and wherever we gather, you are here. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for being in our midst this morning. And we are relying on you to strengthen us, to take us higher, to lead us forward into the fullness of your plan for our lives. We exalt you. We lift up who you are, what you've done above everything else we've ever known. Reveal more of yourself to us, Lord Jesus, this morning. Through your word, by your spirit. It's in your name we gather and expect. Amen. Amen. We're going to start uh, a new series today. It was some time ago. Jennifer, do you remember when the kids were, uh, I don't know if it was a history class, but we were studying the immigration into Ellis Island, and we started researching family tree, and they had to do a family tree. Yeah, it was a few years ago, but our, our children had to make a family tree for school. And so we began researching our natural family tree. And it was pretty cool. We went online, and we found the ship charter that my great-grandfather came on. Uh, it came through Ellis Island, and we found a copy of it online. It was pretty cool. And we saw Luigi Bosco. There. <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, it's pretty cool, and, and you know, uh, it's fun. It's fun to, to learn your natural history, and a lot of people have put a lot of time and effort into tracing their natural history, but there's a greater identity. There's a greater reality. So our new series, we're going to call it The Jesus Tree. We're going to talk about your supernatural family tree, okay? And we're going to call it The Jesus Tree. It's very important that we know who we're born of. That we know who our, our Father is. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, your spirit was made new. And God became your Father. Isn't that amazing? He became just as much your Father as He is Jesus' Father. You're now a son or daughter of God. You're just as much in the family of God as Jesus is because of the power of his sacrifice, okay? So we're going to take a look at our ancestry during this series, and I think you're going to um, come out of this with a greater realization of who you really are. Now, at Highway Church, we say regularly that Jesus never came to establish a religion. He came to bring us into a relationship with God as our Father. Okay? And there are three elements of that relationship that we emphasize here. Okay? Number one is who he really is, not who man says he is. That was my prayer in 1987. When I was 16, 17 years old, I said, God, I want to know who you are. Because I was going to a church, and it was obvious to me that that was not who God was. I heard things that just didn't make sense, that seemed cold and distant and, and, and just it seemed void of life there. So I began walking at night myself on a golf course across from my house for hours. I said, God, show me who you are. I want to know the real you. Okay? So we want to know who he really is, number one. Number two, we need to know what he's already accomplished for us through the sacrifice of his son. He's already done it. It's the finished work. So many prayers are prayed today by believers because they don't understand what's already been done through the atoning work of Christ. Okay? So who he is, what he's done for us, and number three, who we are now in Christ. The amount of power and life and love and joy and peace of God that I experience in my life corresponds to my understanding of these three things. Who he is, what he's done for me in Christ, and who I am now in Christ. All right? So our relationship with him becomes vibrant 
And we begin to experience new levels of him in our lives as we grow in understanding of these three things. This series in particular, we're going to focus on who we are now in Christ. So let's go to Jeremiah chapter 1. I mean, naturally speaking, it's kind of fun. It's interesting to look back and, and see where our uh, natural ancestors came from and how we got here. But there is a greater reality. For example, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Life didn't start with your natural parents. Before you were even in the womb, God knew you. There's a greater reality, a greater identity that we should be walking with life conscious of. Walking in, through life conscious of. I like how Psalm 71 says it in uh, verse number 6. This is the English Standard Version. Upon you have I leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. Amen. My praise is continually of you. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. What does that mean? It means your parents were simply vessels to get you into the earth at the right time. God already purposed for you to be. He was just looking for the opportunity to bring you into the earth at the right time, and now's the right time, Amen. right? So there's a greater reality. Our life goes beyond our natural family tree. Our identity goes beyond our natural family tree. Our identity in Christ supersedes our natural family tree. Let's take a look at Jesus as a young boy. There's only one place you can find this so clearly in the scriptures it's in the gospel of luke jesus as a young boy learned to identify with god as his father more than his natural parents joseph and mary let's go to luke chapter 2 there are two gospels that give us a, a lineage of jesus matthew and luke in the in the beginning of them and interesting to note that Matthew begins his genealogy of Jesus with who? Abraham, right? And Luke begins his genealogy of Jesus with Adam. Hmm, why is that? Well, Matthew had a different emphasis in his gospel than Luke did. Matthew was emphasizing Jesus as the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham, the Messiah, the seed of God. He was emphasizing Jesus as Messiah. Luke emphasized Jesus as a man. Very important to understand that. Jesus came to earth as a man. Don't get mad at me yet. We're going to read the scriptures on this. All right? Let's look. Let's see. Did I jump the gun a little bit? Are you in Luke chapter 2? Hmm. There's a couple of scriptures. Hold on one second here. All right, keep your finger there. Before we go there, let's go to Philippians chapter 2. And we'll come back to Luke. We're going to go to Philippians, John, and Luke. Philippians chapter 2. Jesus came to earth as a man. I remember hearing this for the first time. I thought, what? I thought he was the son of God. Well, he is. But he laid down his son of Godness and actually was conceived in the womb of a woman by the power of the Holy Spirit and was born a baby and needed pampers and diapers just like other babies. And we're going to look at this in the scriptures. But the reason we're looking at Jesus is because as a man, he was our example in our relationship with God as our father. So we look to Jesus and we adopt his same attitude, his same perspective, his same purpose. Okay, Philippians chapter 2 says it this way in verse, we'll start in verse 5. 
Uh, the New King James says, let the mind, let this mind be in you. The Amplified says, let this same attitude and purpose be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He's our example, right? In fact, what was the scripture called Jesus? The last Adam. Luke starts the genealogy of Jesus with Adam. Adam was the first Adam. Jesus is the last Adam. We're identifying with him. He's our example now, not Adam, but Jesus. So we want his same attitude and purpose. Who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He knew who he was, right? Now look at verse 7. Very interesting. But made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Let's stay in that verse for a moment. The English Standard Version. Do we have that? Can you put that up there? says this, But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born. God has never been born. He has no beginning. He has no end. He emptied himself of his godliness, being born in the likeness of men. The Weymouth translation. Nay, he stripped himself of his glory. We're just reading the Bible, right? This is not a new doctrine. This is the scriptures. He stripped himself of his glory and took on the nature of a bondservant by becoming a man like other men. Are you ready for the weast? Himself, he made void. The Living Bible says it this way, but laid aside his mighty power and glory. And verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man. Listen closely. So many believers don't realize that Jesus in his ministry in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts did not perform the miracles that he performed and the healings that he performed by the power of God as the Son of God. He performed the healings and miracles that he did as a man who had faith in God as his Father. Let me say that again, okay? I know it's shocking. But Jesus did not do the things he did in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts as the Son of God in all of his glory. He did them as a man, exampling for us what life is like if you will come to know God as your Father. In other words, he's demonstrating to us what we can do. He was our example as a man. That's why he came as a man. He didn't have to do that. He was fine. He had no other reason for doing what he did but for you. That's right? right? Amen. In fact, Jesus said this in John 14, 12. He said, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. Why? Because he came as a man. To show us what life is like with God as your Father. He will do even greater things than these. Because I'm going to the Father. Do you know that scripture? That's our promise of the month for July. Alright? You want to see some fireworks for the 4th? Start believing this verse. Alright? Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He'll do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. Now, man's religion has robbed so many believers of their true identity in Christ. And man's religion has taken Jesus and put him in a glass case up in a balcony somewhere far away and said, don't touch God the Father, on the other hand, took his son, emptied him of his godliness, wrapped him in human flesh, and said, come close and know me as I am. Let me show you what life is like when I become your father. 
When you know God as your Father, you won't put up with certain things. You won't put up with doubts and fears and anxieties and sickness and disease and lack. You won't put up with it because you'll know it's not from your Father. That's why it's such a lie, such a, an, uh, a wrong uh, misunderstanding and misteaching to tell someone that, that God is using that sickness to, to bring about some purpose in their life. No, he's not. He has nothing to do with sickness. He doesn't have any to give. He's whole. Always has been. He's holy. You know what holy means, don't you? Where does that word come from? Whole. W-H-O-L-E. That's the, the root of that word. Okay? So in understanding this, Jesus came as a man. Now let's go to Luke chapter 2. All right? We're not taking anything away from the glory of Jesus by talking about this. This is the gospel. These are the scriptures. All right? He came as a man so that we could do what he did. This is our identity now. Luke chapter 2. Here we go. I love this. Back into the boy life of Jesus. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, so in that culture, when, when, when were they recognized as a man? 13, I believe, right? Isn't 13 the, the official bar mitzvah? Was well, close to being an official man, right? All right, so uh, 12 years old, then went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. Verse 43. When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. He's going to be in big trouble. Right? So now, so it was, after three days, they found him in the temple. Why was that the last place they looked instead of the first? They didn't have the same purpose he did. Sitting in the midst of the teachers, there he was, 12 years old, he, he, his purpose was knowing God as his father. So going to church was a priority to him. Church should be a place where you learn to know God as your father. Not a system of rules and regulations. Not man's theology. What man often says is theology is not a study of God. It's a study of their own ideas. We don't need that. We need to study him as our father. We need real theology, right? That's what we're doing right now. So here's Jesus sitting in, th in the midst of the teachers. What's he doing? He's listening to them, and he's asking questions. He's learning, isn't he? Jesus learning? Because knowing God as his father was a priority to him. Now, do you know Jesus didn't come to the temple to fulfill a religious duty? Why did you come this morning? To know him more. To know him more. Right? So we can see at age 12, knowing God as father was more of a priority to him than his natural family's calendar. They were on a big trip with lots of family. But he had to know his father more. What, what, what motivates you to put things on your calendar? Your calendar will start clearing of some things when knowing him as father becomes a priority of your life instead of what society says you should be doing at this point in your life. No, I want to know him as father. It changes everything. You, you live life very differently. You have a very different focus, and you spend your time differently. Jesus is our example, even at age 12, right? Verse 47, and all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. Verse 48, so when they saw him, they were amazed. That's his parents, Mary and Joseph. And his mother said to him, son... Why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you, very important word, anxiously. Why were they anxious? Because the temple was the last place they looked. Knowing God as father was not the priority of their calendar. It produces anxiety. 
I've got to get this done. I've got to do this now. Oh, that needs done. Oh, I can't let that go. No, we're here to know God as Father. But what if we're not keeping up with the Joneses? We're not here to know the Joneses. We're here to know God as Father, right? So before I, I spend my time, energy, and resources, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm in relationship with Him. I'm, I'm, I'm using my time, energy, and resources to know Him more. Is this okay? Can we talk about our time, energy, and resources? It's a different way of living. We're not trying to build the tallest skyscraper. That's what they tried to do in, in, in Babel, right? Why? Because their goal wasn't knowing God as Father. They saw things that needed to get done. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's build. We can make this higher. Let's go, right? That's not our goal. Our goal is to know Him as Father. Verse, uh, where did we stop at? 48. Let's go to verse 49. And He said to them, Why did you seek Me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Well, they'd been with him 12 years. He was almost a man. They had seen his conduct. He said, haven't you seen? Haven't you heard the things I've been talking about? How I've been spending my time? Haven't you seen what's important to me? Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I'd be here? Now, in the, in the Greek there, it's interesting. It literally says, didn't you know that I must be in my father? Yeah. In other words, my whole life's about knowing him. One translation says, in my father's house. Another one says, in the things of my father. In other words, he's become more important to me than anyone or anything in this world. You know, you can't have the real kind of family love until God becomes the most important thing in your family. There's a natural love and there's a supernatural love. And making, knowing him as father opens the door for that supernatural love to come into your family. That's why so many uh, parents, instead of guiding their children into their life purpose, have already plans for them. Well, you've got to do this. When you get 18, you've got to do this. You know, my, my parents did this, and this is what we do. And, and no, you've got to follow God. You've got to know God as your father. We don't get any rewards in heaven for getting a degree. You, you'll get a lot of applause. You know, you can accomplish a lot of things the world will, will be in awe of just because we've been made in the image of God. You can live your whole life with your intellect and using your giftings and just go for it and, and, and choose to be a success in a particular field and miss your destiny. The world will, you could be famous, the world will love you and applaud you. You can be in the history books, but you missed your destiny. Our destiny is to know him as Father. It's a different way of living. Different way of living. It's one of the reasons stress has captured so many people. Because knowing God as Father is not the focus of their lives. It's stressful when you don't know Him as Father. But He's our Father, isn't He? Verse 52. And look what happened here. And Jesus increased? What? In wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Obviously, we're talking about the manhood of Jesus. God has never increased. God can't increase. He's perfect power, right? You know, God has never learned anything, right? God has never once Googled, right? He doesn't have to. He doesn't have a laptop, right? God's never learned anything. He has no opinions on anything. He's never had to research anything. He's God. He's perfect wisdom. But we're looking at Jesus who laid down his know everything, his omniscience, right? And came to earth as a man. And he's made a priority to know God as his father, as his father, and he's increasing. Which is what happens. When you choose to know him as father, you begin to increase in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now, he kept this attitude with him for the rest of his days as a man. Let's look at Matthew chapter 12. How are we doing? Okay? Can you do a few jumping jacks or something? We're still awake? Okay. Matthew chapter 12. Let's do verse 46. 
Now here's the adult Jesus. By this time, now he's, what, another, maybe 17 years, maybe about 30, 30 some years old right now. So this is another, you know, 15 years, 17 years, 18 years later. And he's, in verse 46, while he was still talking in the mul- to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside, his natural family, seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. In other words, drop everything, right? Your, your, mom, your mom and brothers are here. Get, let's go. Uh-uh. Verse, look at this now. Look at this focus. But he answered and said to the one who told him, Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? Was he experiencing amnesia at this point? He was asking a real question. He was teaching us about a new identity. A new way to look at our relationships with God as our Father. And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Wow. So his identity with God as his Father was so, uh, became so real to them, it affected the way he looked at his natural family. In fact, he considered those who did God's will his family and no one else. Wow. Isn't that good? That's just a Bible. And so do we. It's amazing when I meet someone that I've never met before who is following after Christ in the Word, learning who he is, what he's done for us, and who we are in him. It's like I've known him my whole life. We're immediate family. By the same same token, I grew up in my natural family. I love them and thank God for them. But I have felt closer to people in Christ than I did in my own natural family. Because they had a different purpose growing up. This was not on our radar knowing God as Father. All right? It is a greater reality and it's our new identity. All right. This is good. Isn't this good? Are you ready for this now? You don't have your religious goggles on, do you? How about your religious earbuds? No? Okay, good. Jesus wants you to know God as Father just like he does. Just as intimately. In the same way. Do you believe me? You don't have to, but I'm going to read you a scripture. John 17 In fact, knowing God as Father is what the Bible calls eternal life. Verse 3, John 17. And this is eternal life, that they may know you. How did Jesus know God? As his Father. That they may know you as their Father. Remember that word, K-N-O-W? Joseph knew not his wife. Same Greek word, as a husband knows his wife. This is eternal life, that they may know you. Man, that's so good. The Amplified says it this way. Let's put that up there. And this is eternal life. It means to know, to perceive, to recognize, to become acquainted with, And understand you. Eternal life is understanding and perceiving God. Religion says, that's blasphemy. You can't understand God. You can't know God's will. Yes, you can. You can know him. You can know him better than any other person in your life. Because God's a spirit and you are too. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. What we're reading is what's been revealed, all right? We're not saying we know everything. We certainly don't know everything. We don't understand the whole of God. 
But what he does want us to know and understand is what he's revealed to us through the person and ministry of his son, Jesus Christ. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. He wants us to know it, to be sure of it. That's what faith is. Faith is knowing and being sure. Blind faith doesn't exist in the Bible. That's a man concept. It's not a God concept. Faith is being sure and certain. He wants you to know it's his will for your body to be healthy for the rest of his life, for the rest of your life. He wants you to know and be sure of it so you can enjoy it. If you're not sure of it, you won't experience it. See, man's got it backwards. They say, well, if it's God's will, it'll happen. No, it won't. Why? Because God, are you ready for this? Can I shock you a little bit? God has given us personal sovereignty over our lives. He did. He made us free beings. We can say and do whatever we want. We can believe whatever we want. We're not taking away from the sovereignty of God by saying that. We're, we're recognizing in his sovereignty, he made us free creatures. All right? So he's given us personal sovereignty. So you've gotta, we've got to look at Jesus, study Jesus, and learn the will of God for our lives, then, then enforce it with our mouths and our hearts, right? Hallelujah. So we've got this new concept now. We've been born of God. God is our Father. We've stopped seeing eternal life as a place to get to and realized it's a relationship we already have. We've already got it. We already, he's already our Father. He did it through Jesus, right? 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come. We know we're sure of it. We know it. And has given us an understanding. See? He wants you to know him. God wants you to know his will. He wants you to understand him. He does. That's his desire. I want my children to know me. What kind of father would I be if I didn't want them to know me? Right? God is a father who wants you to know him. He's not holding back from you. He's revealed himself through his son, Jesus Christ. He, that, that, let's see. Yeah. Um, given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. That we may know, that we may be sure, that we may be certain of him who is true. And we are in him. You're in Christ, right? Who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Understanding and knowing him as your father. The one who gave you life. The one that you are born of. You're just as much a son of God as Jesus. He loves you just as much as he loves Jesus. Not one smidge left, less. John 17, let's look at this. Verse 22, and the glory, oh boy. This is you, I'm just reading the Bible here. And the glory which you gave me, who's talking here? Jesus, I have given them Oh, this makes religion mad. The religion doesn't want the glory of God to be manifest in your life. That's why it tells you the things it tells you. That they may be one just as we are one. End of verse 23. That the world may know that you have sent me and what? Have loved them as you have loved me. in the same way so we're learning about the Jesus tree we're looking at our family tree right now it begins with Jesus our ancestry begins with Jesus all right not with Adam with the last Adam Jesus okay we're of him important to understand that all right so Jesus is referred to in the scriptures as the seed of God. And he was the seed that became the tree. We could say we're the branches that are growing on the tree, right? I'm the vine, you are the branches. So let's, let's look at, at Jesus talking about himself as, as a seed in John chapter 12. John chapter 12. This is our family, we're studying our family tree now. 
and we can go to the source of our family tree. You can't do that really. Usually with your natural family tree, you get to a point where you kind of can't figure it out anymore. But we can go right to the beginning with this family tree. So verse 23 of John 12, But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Look what he says here. Most assuredly, he's talking about his crucifixion and resurrection, right? I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Who's he talking about there? Himself, right? He's saying, I'm a seed. I'm going to die. The Holy Spirit's going to germinate me. I'm going to raise from the dead, and I'm going to be the firstborn of many brothers. Isn't that what Romans 8.29 said? Right? And he'd be the firstborn among many brothers. Jesus was God's promised seed to start this new family. All right? He is the seed of our family tree. Galatians chapter 3, verse 16 says it this way. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham. This is, I was reading this verse this past week, and it just hit me differently. I thought, this is amazing. Listen to this. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. So God's speaking to Abraham and to Jesus. God the Father is giving his son instruction and Abraham instruction. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say unto seeds. There's only one Jesus, right? As referring to many, but rather to one and to your seed, that is Christ. Why did God speak to Abraham and to Jesus? Well, Abraham was the man on the earth at the time. He was a man who was willing to take God at his word. God had a difficult time, well, not really, but there weren't many people on earth willing to do that. When the centurion says, you don't have to come to my house, just speak the word, Jesus was amazed that there was a man on earth who believed in God's word that strongly. So nothing's hard for God. He didn't have a hard time finding Abraham. But Abraham stood out on the earth because he was willing to take God at his word. And you know what God asked him to do? You remember in Genesis 12? Leave your family. Leave the, what, the Ur of the Chaldeans. They worshiped other gods, right? He said, walk away from that. Where are we going? Just follow me. Didn't even know where he was going. He might have had it real good in the Ur of the Chaldeans. I don't know. But he followed God. He was looking for someone who would make knowing him the priority of his life. And he found him in Abraham, Right? And he's speaking to Jesus. You know, God the Father asked Jesus to do what he did. To come to earth as a man. And he did it. Hallelujah. When you put your faith in Christ, God became your father. He's no less your father than Jesus is God's son. Than he is Jesus' father. All right? And because God is your father, the kingdom of God is in you. You don't have to search for it. You don't. What we really need to do as, as believers is recognize what's already in us. You say, well, I don't feel like the kingdom of God is in me. It doesn't look like the kingdom of God is in me. Can you see the seeds in your garden? No. Mm-mm. Not until they grow, right? Not until they're germinated and they begin to grow. Right? The kingdom of God is within you, and God wants to germinate it and for it to grow and, and become a mighty tree in the earth. Look what he says about this. We're almost done. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus begins talking about the kingdom of God. Do you guys remember when Barry Bennett was here, if you were here for that? He said something very powerful. He said, every seed contains a unique destiny. Look, it looks like a present insufficiency. Seeds don't look impressive. Just look like a speck of something, right, that you would just toss outside or it's just a little thing, right? 
So it, it looks like a present insufficiency, but it carries an infinite potential inside. The kingdom of God is like that. It's inside of you. That means inside of you is unlimited potential. Unlimited potential. In other words, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Nothing is impossible when you know God is your Father. With God, all things are possible. Am I just rattling off some catchy phrases? What is it? These are scriptures, aren't they? Right? With God, all things are possible. Right? Nothing is impossible with God. Hallelujah. Mark chapter 4, Jesus is explaining to us the limitless potential of the kingdom of God. And he said, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God, or with what comparison shall we compare it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the earth, is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. You ever seen one of those tiny little mustard seeds? You just sit it right on the tip of your finger, blow off in the wind, wouldn't think anything of it, right? But when it's sown, see, God needed soil to sow his kingdom in. That's you. We're the soil that the kingdom of God has been sown in. It grows up. It becomes greater than all herbs and shooteth out great branches so that the birds of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. Amplified says, may come and find shelter in its branches. The message says, and eagles build nests in it. It's interesting, the mustard bush or tree that grows from the seed can be anywhere from 6 to 20 feet. I've read we're even in ideal conditions 30 feet with like a 20 feet span from this teeny little thing, right? The kingdom of God is in you. That's just a mustard seed. What about the kingdom growing in you? So our lives become like this great tree. In other words, people will find and experience God's shelter and provision and life and healing by getting to know you because inside of you, the kingdom of God has grown. Right? Yeah. So you, as you're, you made your focus knowing God as Father and comes along someone who's interested in knowing God, who, wants to, who needs healing, needs wholeness. Well, that's been growing in you now. So they can come underneath one of your branches and experience it and find the healing and the wholeness that God provides. So that's what we are. We're trees walking around, right? We're branches on the tree of life. Hallelujah. Well, I want to get into a few more things. I don't think we're going to have time. So let's look at one more scripture. One more scripture. Luke chapter 17. Start in verse 20. I'm reminded, I'm thinking of the scripture that came to mind. In Isaiah, is it... Uh, Chapter 60, somewhere around verse 3, it says, They shall be called oaks of righteousness, a planning of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Yeah. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's made you an oak of righteousness. You're a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. God desires to show his glory through you, just like he did through Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Didn't Jesus say the same glory that you gave me, I've given them? Right? This changes everything. It changes your entire perspective of yourself and everybody else. But it's, it's, the, it's the same attitude that Philippians exhorts us to adopt that Jesus had. All right, verse 20, Luke 17. Once, having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied. See, that's what religion does. Eternal life, kingdom of God, it's something off in the future that we're waiting for. But that's not what God says. Jesus replied, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation. Verse 21, nor will people say here it is or there it is because the kingdom of God is within you. Yes. <laughs> people are searching high and low for eternal life. But if they'll put their faith in Christ, it will grow inside of them. I'm so glad we don't have to search anymore. Amen. Yes, yes. Mm. 
there are all kinds of different worship songs that are written. And some of them are very catchy musically. But some of them are written out of an ignorant focus of who we are in Christ. Yeah. So we're not, we're not looking for God. We found him. His name's Jesus. Okay? We're not hoping that he, that he, he comes or that he, he's already given us his son. It's amazing that the songs that are written asking God to do something he's already done. Right? We're not tarrying, waiting for the Holy Spirit. He's already come. Right? I was someone talking about a song they were singing. I, I don't know the song. I don't know who it's written by, so I'm not trying to slam it. But it was something about we're waiting for God to come in the room. You're waiting for God. What did Jesus say? Where two or three are gathered in my midst, they, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. We're not waiting for God to come in the room. He's here. Right? We're not waiting for God to move. He's already moved. He gave his son. He gave everything he could give. It's time for us to act upon what he's already done. Yeah. The devil wants to keep you in a, a dormant mode. You know, a, a living seed can remain dormant unless it's germinated. And all of that uh, unlimited potential just stays there. And, and that's what you become, like a dormant seed when you don't know who you are in Christ. And all of that kingdom of God inside of you is not going to come out until you realize, wait a minute, I'm a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. I'm a son of God. I've become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for me. He was that once and for all sacrifice. I'm strong in him and in his mighty power. I do the things Jesus did and greater things than these. He's my father. He's my shepherd. I hear his voice. The voice of a stranger I will not follow. Amen. Am I just rattling off some encouraging statements? Those are all scriptures, right? This is how we germinate the seed. We speak it and we believe it. You speak who you are in Christ, and you believe it. There are times I may not feel like I believe it. I speak it anyway. Because you're listening to yourself, whether you realize it or not. That can be positive or negative, depending on what you're saying. Right? So for a seed to be germinated, the right conditions need to be present, right? Naturally speaking, seed needs water, oxygen or air, right? Light. And the right temperature. Well, water, that's the word of God, right? Husbands are exhorted to wash their wives with the water of the word, right? Oxygen or air, that's the breath of God, the Holy Spirit. Light, that's the word of God. The entrance of your word brings light. Jesus is a light. And the right temperature, that's the fire of the Holy Spirit. So because, for time's sake, we're going to pause right here. We're going to pick up next week. But we're going to be looking at the four things that will cause the kingdom of God to grow in us. Water, air, light, and the right temperature. Water being the word of God. Okay, you ready? I'm going to say this. The Bible, reading the Bible is the word of God, right? Yes. But reading it is not going to set you free. Okay. Going to a seminary is not going to set you free. You can know the details of the Bible, but not know the author of it. What will set you free? Studying the scriptures and, and, and finding the promises of God that teach you about who he is, what he's done for you, and who you are in Christ. When you know those things, liberty comes. All right? So we're going to get into, we're getting into the water, the word of God. We're going to look at the Holy Spirit, who is the breath of God. Right? And the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is where now? In you. He's in you, right? So you don't have to go looking for the Holy Spirit. You don't have to wait for the Holy Spirit. He's inside of you if you've put your faith in Christ, right? We're going to look at the light. The entrance of God's word brings light. When you begin to, to, to adopt the same attitude as Jesus, you begin to see yourself as God sees you. Okay, and we're going to look at the right temperature, the fire of the Holy Spirit, just like the book of Acts. All right, so we're going to do this starting next week, and we'll see how, if we'll just take our time. We're growing. You don't want to rush a seed, right? We're growing stronger every day. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you 
for this time together in your presence. Lord, we thank you. You are our teacher. Holy Spirit, you're living strong inside of us. We give you full right away of our lives. The only reason we read our Bible is to know you more. <laughs> the only reason we gather weekly is to know you more. It's the only reason. You've become the reason for the way we spend our time, energy, and resources. Because we love you more than anyone and anything. Holy Spirit, thank you for your will, the will of the Father, done in our lives just as it is in heaven. Thank you for taking us higher this week, for leading us forward into the fullness of your plan and purpose for our lives. Thank you that your kingdom is expanding exponentially inside of us, that we are your sons and daughters. We are oaks of righteousness, a planning of the Lord for the display of your splendor. Thank you for your glory seen in our lives. We rejoice that we are your sons and daughters, Father. And that we do the same things Jesus did and greater things than these. We have adopted the same attitude and purpose. We must be in you. We must be about you. Help us, Holy Spirit, to rearrange our calendar. To remove things we may need to remove or to add things we may need to add. Teach us to be led by you in our decisions. That your peace would reign in our, in our families, in our relationships, in every circumstance. In Jesus' name, amen. At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life he came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good He is.